Today, we remember the gift of a father. For having a father, and for some of you, being a father. And uh, these are men that God has brought into our lives uh, to support and mentor us. And some, for some of you, you'll be able to spend time with that man. You will be able to, to talk with him. Some of you, it might be a phone call. And yet, so others of you, it just may be a day of fond memories and emotions and maybe a, a visit out to a gravesite or whatever it may be. But uh, there is no doubt that God has used men and all of us to have a profound impact on our lives. And for, for some here today, unfortunately, there, there may be some not so pleasant memories of a father. There may be feelings of hurt, regret, and betrayal. But hey, that's okay because God will help us deal with those as well. But I tell you what, I love watching young couples after they've had their first child. Uh, there's, there's much time spent preparing for the child. Uh, baby has been put away. The, the nursery has been painted and, and you've got all the bag packed ready to take your wife to the hospital whenever that day occurs. And often though, when you actually have the birth and after the birth has just happened, you see the father and they've got this deer in the headlights look. Like, oh my goodness, this is not a textbook. This is not a project. This is a, a living, breathing child. And it is so sweet to see them uh, look at that child and know that they are their father. And uh, it's just, it's a bond that I have so much respect for. And uh, the thing is, is that I'll often ask them, say, are you ready? And, and they'll always have similar responses like, well, I don't have a choice. Or yes, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best father I can be. And, and, and that's the thing is that, when that baby comes, the, the father has to do his best every day to take care of that dear child. And many of you that are fathers here today, you've done that and you've done well. And for some of you here today, you may have had a father in your life that maybe didn't do that very well. But the thing is, though, is that oftentimes men are drawn to father their children either like their fathers, father them, or the complete opposite the way their fathers fathered them. But needless to say, the impact of the fathers before us are the ones that have impacted the way we may father. And, and just because this is Father's Day, don't think that oh, women, you get a pass and that you're not important because every day is, is Women's Day in, in my book. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like that y'all are special. And, and some of you, you're having to do both roles. You're having to do the mother and the father. So don't feel slighted. Feel special. And feel that, that although things are not working out exactly like you liked, God has got a plan for you too. Well, whatever headspace you're in this morning and, and whatever you're thinking about, it's important to remember that just as our earthly fathers were special, so were and is our heavenly father. God is the Father of fathers. Let me show you a verse out of Psalm 68, 5. God in His holy dwelling as a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. God is a father to the fatherless. Yeah, that's true that God cannot often come down and give you a big bear hug or, or He can't uh, tell you, face to face exactly what's wrong all the time but that's why he has sent his holy spirit that is why he has sent 
his word. And that's why he has sent other believers in a church to help encourage you. But as we look at Father's Day today, as we look at our passage, the first thing that we see as fathers, just as I spoke a moment ago, fathers pass on traits to fathers. And we either accept to take them, or we accept to reject them or improve upon them. But the thing is, is that whatever faith our father had, usually it has an impact on our life as well. The first thing is do not pass on a useless faith. In other words, men, do not pass on a faith that is built on actions, religion, and, and, and fakeness. We have to pass on the real thing. Let's read verses 14 through 17 of James chapter 2. James is saying, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Let me read that one more time. Faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces the key word is produces good deeds. Unless it produces good deeds, it is a dead faith. A useless faith. Folks, if our faith does not affect the actions, if our faith and what we believe, what we believe does not affect the way we treat others, the bottom line is we have no faith at all. We have constructed something that makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. But if we can look at a brother or sister and have hate towards that brother or sister for no reason other than maybe their financial background, the the color of their hair or the color of their skin or whatever it may be, then we have lost sight of the fact that our faith bleeds over into actions. Faith without work is as useless as owning a glass hammer. Think about it. What good would a glass hammer be? You couldn't drive anything with that hammer. And folks, our faith without actions is like that glass hammer or like a screen door for a submarine. I don't think that would be very helpful to you. Be kind of hard. Unless you, you see that commercial where the guy's got that stuff he sprays on the boat and he floats on it. Now that would be cool, but I don't know if I'd trust it in a submarine going down deep in the water. But, Here's four truths about dead faith. Number one about dead faith is if you have to use words only to prove your faith to others, it still means that you're trying to prove it to yourself. If you've got to talk someone into believing that you are a Christian, you have trouble believing it yourself. The second thing, if your choice and actions do not line up with God's word, then you definitely have a belief problem. The third thing, dead faith leads to a dry Defeated faith. A faith that is religious. A faith that is all about doing the right things. Keeping up the appearance for everybody. So that it will look like that we have faith. But yet inside thinking, I don't even know if God exists or if he does. There's not much going on with him. Folks, if your faith is dead or stalling, it is not God's problem. His product is the best product out there. 
If we're not living the full Christian life, it's because we're not using it according to his specifications. The fourth truth is that you cannot have a true faith conversion in Jesus Christ and not be changed. I have people ask me all the time, how do I know that I'm a believer? How do I know that I'm really a Christian? And I would say, my friend, you would know it in your actions. You would know it if you acted and you spoke the same ways that are according to scriptures and the same way that you have come to know your faith in Jesus Christ. Someone who prays a prayer at a youth camp in sixth grade but never changes their life, I have serious concerns for that person. Because, yes, praying a prayer is just that, praying a prayer. But when the Holy Spirit empowers our lives, it comes into our lives, we are a changed person. I saw before my very eyes the life of my father. He was always a great father, a loving father. But at some point in his life, his faith became real and I saw it change the way he acts. Folks, men, your children, your wives, your nieces, your nephews, your co-workers, your church folks, they want to see that type of change in the men that they are around. They don't have to be told that they're a Christian. Hey, we got to go to church this morning. We had not been in a couple of weeks, so let's go check it out. Hey, I'm glad that people are coming to church. But folks, I don't want people coming to church if they don't are not earnestly seeking God in their search. If you are here for any other reason, my friend, I beg you to change your thinking and to change your priorities. Because you cannot have a faith conversion in Jesus and not be changed. No more than if someone was shocked with 220 volts flowing through their body would not feel it. I don't know about you, but sometimes if I walk on the carpet with socks, I get shocked and feel it. Let alone if I try to give my bride a kiss and one of us has got a charge. Woo! Man! Still lights me up after all these years. But I'll tell you what. When we get shocked, we know it. And when we get saved, we know it. Because our actions are different. We see here that a worldly faith without actions is fake. Folks, dead faith is not a saving faith. It fools people into thinking that they are a Christian when they are not. It, prov- it provides a counterfeit faith. And I say this all the time. The hardest person to reach is the person that is sitting in a pew week after week because that's what they've always done, but they have no relationship with Jesus. Their life is not different. They do not have the Spirit inside of them. They're not reading His Word. They're not applying His Word. They are just showing up to church. And that is the hardest person to reach. But... As I said earlier, men, we have to be the real deal in front of our families and peers. I, like you, had many things passed on to me by my father. That first picture that you saw uh, was actually uh, my dad taking me fishing on the pier when we go on vacation. And and uh, that's one of those pictures that uh, I'd had in, in all my files and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until recently I saw that, you know, I thought, you know what, I need to make a picture of that and give it to my dad. And uh, I'm so glad I did because about six months after I gave him that picture, I lost him. But he had that, when we went to his house, he had that picture right in front of the chair that he sat in the whole time. And that was probably one of the best gifts. So if you don't hear anything else I said, 
If you've got a picture with your dad that you think would mean a lot to you and him, get it off that digital drive. Dig it out of that shoebox. Do whatever you have to do. Take it down to your local store. Spend five cents to get it printed and give it to them. But yes, our fathers have passed on a lot to us. Uh, I'll never forget, I was graduating high school and I finished my first year of college, so I knew everything, right? I was I was out of a freshman year of college, and I was selected to go on a 10-week missionary trip to Huntington Beach State Park. And I know some of you are saying, oh boy, 10 weeks at Myrtle Beach. Yeah, that's some kind of vacation. i tell you what, it was tough. 10 weeks, no family, living in a trailer that didn't have a bathroom. Do the math. If I wanted to go get a shower, I had to walk to the bathhouse. If I had to use the bathroom, I had to walk to the bathhouse most of the time. But I'll never forget my first trip there. That was my first big boy trip. That was my first big boy trip without having somebody with me or it being more than 30 or 40 minutes. I mean, this was five hours. And so my dad, who was a truck driver, he had a lot of experience with maps, because believe it or not, kids, there was a day and age when there was not a GPS on your phone. <gasps> there was not even a GPS standalone unit that you could put in your window. You had to read something called a map and figure out which way to go. And so I remember sitting down and my dad routing me and showing me and mapping out my direction for me. Because he was a truck driver, he did that all the time. And I got to Huntington Beach State Park like a champ. And I got back. I learned how to read a map. Everything was good. Because of what my father taught me. My father literally taught me how to navigate through South Carolina to get to the beach. But he taught me more than that. He taught me how to navigate through life. He passed on so many things to me that I'm so grateful for. And I know many of you have similar stories of where either your father or your grandfather or even just a man that God has placed into your life has poured into you. And you are better today because of that person. Folks, we need men of faith to pass on that faith. We need that leadership. Because your biggest missionary... Endeavor will be the people that live right under your own roof or that are right within your circle. And, uh, man, you may not believe this, but your family is actually depending on you. Your family is actually depending on you. That's no surprise. But the world is depending on you. You want to sit down, sit around and complain about how the world is? It's because a lot of times the men have dropped the ball. The reason churches are struggling, men have dropped the ball. And it's not, look, I'm not hanging it all on men because I'm, I'm hanging it on myself. There are so many things that go into that, but we need those point people. We need those men to stand up because, uh, they say that in 1960, some of you remember the 60s, some of you were parents in the 60s, some of you had teenagers in the 60s. Only 10% of children were raised without a father in a home. Only 10%. Now it's 40% and above that have no father in the home. Today's children, with fathers invested in their lives, you can see some key differences. If there is a child that has a father invested in their life, they are less likely to live in poverty 
when they become adults. They do better in school. They're less likely to do jail time. They are less likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They are less likely to be sexually active before marriage. They are less likely to be obese. And they are more likely to take healthy risks. Because someone has showed them that you can take a risk and it turn out okay. And fathers, your faith can strengthen the ministry of even this church. You see, Jesus is reminding everyone, male, female, all of us alike, reminding us all, including fathers, in the importance of having a faith that is shown in action and is contagious to others. The second thing, main point we see, is that we need to model a belief that is coupled with action. In verses 18 through 20, let's read that. He says, now someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Verse 19, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without deeds is Useless is useless. Folks, knowledge of belief in Jesus Christ is not enough to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe that he walked on this earth, to believe that he died for your sins is not enough. We have to believe it, accept it, internalize it, and then act upon it. That is what true faith is. And uh, we see here that uh, the the demons actually believe in Jesus. We see three things that demons believe. Number one, they believe that Jesus is God's son. They believe in the existence of hell. And they believe that Jesus is their judge. See, even demons have to submit to the words and the commands of Jesus. And then the third thing we see is that we need to be known for what we do over what we say. You need to be known for what you do over what you say. Oh, I missed the point. Let me go back for a second. Belief and words are not indicators of a genuine faith, but it is a changed life. Now, for many people, you can remember that moment when Jesus Christ came into your life. He changed your thinking. He changed your way of looking at life. And He changed your behavior. I have seen children that have gotten their fathers back because they came to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. I have seen them families become whole again that there was no hope for only because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And then I have seen other families that the father has been a, a Christian as long as you can remember. And still some of the children struggled. Still some of the families struggled with that because that is the life we live in. We live in a life that attacks men of faith. And attacks women of faith. But to be genuine. To be the real deal. To have an impact on our surroundings and on our family. We have to be the real deal. Some of you had this happen to you. You had a father that smoked and drank. And told you not to drink and not to smoke. What good is that? 
I'd venture to guess most of the children that had that happen now smoke and drink. Because it's do what I say, not as I do. That is not a biblical principle. A biblical principle is do as I do and I choose to do right. We have to have a changed life, a genuine faith. Now, let me say this, though. It does not mean that you are perfect. There is not one perfect father in here. And I know some of you are thinking, my daddy was, you better move on. (laughs) I understand that. But look, like I said earlier, a lot of times these men that, that, that are fathers, they're doing the best they can day by day. And the thing is, is that the title doesn't make us special. It's our lives. It is our changed life. And the third thing is we need to be known for what you do over what you say. In verses 21 through 25, let's take a moment and look at that. Don't you remember that your ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions work together. That is the key. His faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith, what? Complete. Many people, I guess that would mean that many people who claim that they are a Christian, but their, their actions do not prove it, would mean that they're a little incomplete. A little half-baked. Kind of like going to get that biscuit and you bite into it and it's still full of dough. Ugh. We got a couple of the two, faith and actions. He says in verse 23, And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Then Rahab the prostitute is still another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid the messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so is faith dead without good works. We see the father of fathers mentioned here. Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation. The, 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 like I said, the earthly father of, of everybody of faith. And we see him. James takes a moment to remind these Jewish believers who knew exactly who Abraham was to remind them of their hero. And like Abraham, we will not see the true strength and value of our faith until it is tested. Let me ask you this, everybody, male, female, all alike. How do you know when your faith is real? Unfortunately, it's when it is tested. How do you know that you're learning stuff in school? They have these things, we don't like them, but they call them tests. Now they now they have these, what, EOGs? End of grade testing, is that right? We didn't have that. Do they still have that? Y'all are not in school, y'all don't know? Do they, do they, was that a North Carolina thing? Well, anyway, they had EOGs. And at the end of the grade, you had to take this test. And if you didn't, if you didn't pass that test, it would mean that you didn't learn what you were supposed to learn that year. And you were in fear of having to run it again. Folks, we don't like tests. We don't like to study. We don't like to put all that effort into it. But folks, we are tested to see 
Not what we don't know, but what we know. And it's one thing to do that in school. It's another thing in life. None of us in here want to have the thumb screws of, of life pinched down upon us. But it is in those moments when we are squeezed like a sponge. When we have all of these things in our life that are pushing and pressing against us, this stuff that comes out of the sponge is what we are made of. And James is saying that stuff that comes out of the sponge needs to be faith. And he uses Abraham as an example. God gave Abraham Isaac. That was his son. Abraham was in old, in old age. He was like over a hundred years old. He had his wife and they got pregnant. So as you've seen your adults, see if that happens in your life and how surprised everybody will be. I can't see throwing a baby shower for a hundred year old. But hey, if God wants to do it, he could do it. But the thing is, is they had, they waited all their lives for this kid. And now this kid comes along and now God tells Abraham the unthinkable. I want you to take your son Isaac And I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to take a knife and stick it into this son that you have waited all your life for. What? That is some dark stuff. When you think about it. All this time, all this time he's been praying for a child. He has a child and now God is telling him to do do this. Has God ever asked you to do something that in your mind you thought, that's impossible. There's no way I could do it. Abraham did exactly what God told him to do. And you can go back and read this passage. It is an amazing story. And so you see, Abraham is walking his son up Mount Moriah. And his son is asking, Daddy, where is the sacrifice that we're going to kill? And Abraham doesn't say a word. And then at some point, Isaac figures it out. And so Abraham doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. But all he knows is God said he's going to do it. So faith kicked in. And right as he is raising the knife to kill his son, God says, wait. And then over on the side of the mountain, there is a ram or a, a, a mountain goat, something like that. That uh, God says, kill that instead. It was a substitute. Now, I don't know about you all, but I would feel fairly certain in saying that anyone who was a father in here would not want to kill their child for the benefit of somebody else. But it says Abraham, in his faith, did this. Why would God even ask Abraham to do that? Why would God ask you to do something you do not want to do? All that God gives you and I comes with the right for him to take it away. This is a tough concept, but it is the God honest truth. All that God gives you and I comes with the right for him to take it away. God gave me the blessing of adoptive parents all the days of my life. And at some point, God thought it was better for them and for me to take them away. There are some of you even here today that have had lives taken away from you. 
maybe miscarriages taken away from you and you're thinking, God, that cannot be fair. Maybe some of you men in here have lost stuff and you have blamed God for years and you have yet to get past it. But my friend, whatever He gives you, He has the right to take away because it is for their good and your good. And here's the thing. God's purpose was not to kill Isaac, but to test Abraham. Some of you say, my children test me all the time. I know exactly what he was doing. But here's the thing, folks. God would have never had all of Abraham. God would have never had all of Abraham the father unless his father was willing to give God his son, Isaac. God will never do a great work in your life until you give Him all of yourself. And then we see, uh, for those that know the story, God provided the sacrifice. Abraham would not have to kill his Isaac. But here's the thing. God followed through for Himself the very thing He saved Abraham from. Abraham had that knife reared back and God said, no, stop. And let's put a pause there. God takes that knife out of Abraham's hand and he puts it in his son Jesus and kills his son for your sin and mine. God did what he did not require Abraham to do. We see Rahab mentioned. It's unlikely uh, Rahab was the opposite of Abraham. Rahab was a female. Rahab, as it says in the scripture, was a prostitute. And Rahab was a Gentile. So she was the, the polar opposite of Abraham. But yet God still used her. Some of you are in the middle of sin today and you say, there is no way God can reach me in the midst of where I am. But folks, if He can reach a prostitute in Jericho, He can reach anyone. And it says that by her faith, she hedged her bets on God rather than the people of Jericho. So when they, when Jer- people of Jericho came looking for these spies, she basically sent them on a wild goose chase And protected those spies. And because of that decision, her life and her family's life was spared. And because of that decision, if you go to Matthew and read the genealogy of Jesus, you will see that Rahab was Boaz's mother, meaning that Rahab is in the family bloodline of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me you've done something so horrible that God cannot use. The Bible is filled with imperfect, jacked up people that God used because of their faith. And we're still talking about them today. Fathers, brothers, sons, mothers, sisters, daughters. We must heed James's warning in this passage. Just as the body is dead without breath, so faith is dead without good works. The things we do for God are not suited for the earth or the, the, is not suited, suitable for our faith. 
but they are markers to prove our faith. Folks, we need faithful fathers today. Your family's depending on it. The world is depending on it. If you want to change your world, it begins with God and your faith to act. If you want to change your world, it begins with God and your faith to act. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but probably about a year and a half, two years ago on Wednesday night, we started praying a bold prayer. And the prayer was this. God, if our doors closed today, would anybody care? You want a sobering fact? Don't tell people you're from the church and ask them if they've ever heard of the church. If we closed our doors today, would the world even miss it? And I say, if we apply this principle, absolutely. Because we're not only telling people about Jesus, we're showing about we're showing people Jesus in our actions. God wants all of you today. Not just part of you. We need men. We need women. We need children to stand up and let their actions speak to their faith. And if you don't have that faith in God, that is the starting point today. And if you want to know how to do that, talk to me and I'll be glad to share it with you. Let's have a time of invitation. Would you please stand? God, I thank you so much for the privilege of preaching this message. And dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would show our faith in our actions. And there's no perfect people in here. I didn't preach this as a perfect person. I'm in need of your grace just as anybody else is. But if there's one man, woman, child, anybody here that wants to start their journey in faith by accepting you as their Savior and Lord, I pray that today is the day. Or someone may want to rededicate their life or just come to the altar and pray on their own. Join the church or get baptized. Or this invitation is a time for you to respond. May you move. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.